Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Entrepreneur and businessman Bill Gates and his business partner Paul Allen founded and built the world's largest software business, Microsoft, through technological innovation, keen business strategy, and aggressive business tactics. In the process, Gates became one of the richest men in the world. In February of 2014, Gates announced that he was stepping down as Microsoft's chairman to focus on charitable work at his foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And Gates sat down with David Rubenstein, co-founder of the Carlyle Group and host of the Bloomberg television show, Peer-to-Peer Conversations, to discuss global warming, carbon emissions, regulating big tech, and why he thinks the impossible foods and beyond meat can help the environment. For about 20 years or so, you've been the wealthiest man in the world. But because you've given away so much money, recently Jeff Bezos became wealthier. Do you think if you had stayed in college and gotten your college degree, I mean, you don't feel inadequate now because being only the second wealthiest man in the world, is that right? No, I mean, uh, it's a sign that I haven't given the money away fast enough uh, to drop out of the top 10, you know, and the market's been strong. Actually, the market has been strong. Microsoft uh, is up 35% this year. So to what do you attribute that? Uh, the company you know, is doing super well. Satya Nadal is uh, a great CEO. You know, the whole dream of the importance of software has really come true. The five most valuable companies in the world are these technology companies. Microsoft you know, has a good share of that. Uh, I get to spend about a sixth of my time now is over at Microsoft. So recently you said that the biggest mistake you've made professionally <laughs> was that um, Microsoft should have had the Android technology. Why was that the biggest mistake? When you're in a field, you know, we were in the field of doing operating systems for personal computers. We knew the mobile phone would be very uh, popular, and so we were doing what was called Windows Mobile. We missed being the dominant mobile operating system by a very tiny amount. We were distracted during our antitrust trial. We didn't assign the best people to do the work. So it's the, the biggest mistake I made in terms of something that was clearly within our skill set. We were clearly the company that, that should have achieved that. Your two main areas of focus are K-12 education in the United States and healthcare in the uh, least wealthy parts of the world. Recently, you've decided to make another effort, not necessarily through your foundation, but through uh, Breakthrough Energy, to try to do something about climate change. Why are you so worried about climate change? Well, the climate change is a problem that gets worse every year. And yet, what you have to do on a global basis is very dramatic in reshaping the uh, entire physical economy uh, that we have. 
And so it's a very complex problem, and it's a problem that fits where I see my value added, which is looking at something through the lens of innovation, not just the R&D part, but the creation of products and the deployment of products. And so helping educate people about, okay, what, where, what are the sources of these greenhouse gases, and how do you get on a path of innovation uh, so that you can get global adoption and actually bring emissions down dramatically. Is that part of your foundation, or are you doing this outside your foundation? Okay, the, the part where you mitigate and you help the poor countries with better seeds and better policies, uh, partly through development aid, that is through the foundation, that mitigation part. The part where you invent new ways of making... Uh, fuels, electricity, cement, steel, meat. That is uh, done directly by me with a lot of investments, including the fund that you mentioned, the so-called Breakthrough Energy Ventures, is a fund that I assembled a group of 22 people uh, to put money into uh, companies that are trying to commercialize uh, the the breakthroughs. All right, but that's a fund of $1 billion. Right. You put in $250 million. So can $1 billion really make that much of a difference? A billion, uh, it's actually been very catalytic. So far, they have 20 investments. Uh, late next year, we'll probably raise another uh, billion to a billion and a half. You know, this is all about innovation. So right now, the premium, if you said, OK, you have to make steel with no emissions, that steel would cost you four times what steel does today. Your electric bill would more than double uh, if, if we just take the technology we have today. So um, yes, supporting those companies and drawing other investors in. One thing Breakthrough Energy has done is gotten a lot of co-investors. Green investing didn't go very well in the first round. And so it looked like a field that might uh, evaporate to some degree. Because VVs come in and been able to bring a depth of understanding to these things, not only have they been able to invest, the first billion will be uh, uh, fully committed within the next year, but we've gotten uh, other investors. So that's gone uh, quite well. And, and the technology, they only invest in companies who have a chance of reducing greenhouse gas emissions okay. by a half a percent each, each okay. company. Uh, and you know they've found 20, and I'm sure they'll find another 20. Now, I'm the smallest investor in that fund, I think. So um, am I going to get my money back and make a return? Or um, <laughs> what, would you, what would you say? Well, I'd say it's of the things you invest in, it's probably one of the higher risk things. It is being done on a commercial basis. Uh, you know, we're likely to have a few significant successes. So it's not philanthropic in the sense that you can deduct it. Uh, but the, the time frame of the returns right. and the riskiness of the returns are fairly high. So we do expect uh, to, to make a profit out of that fund. So why do you think some people do not believe that there is such a thing as climate change? What is propelling them uh, to say there's no climate change? Is it scientific evidence or some other political reason? I won't mention anybody, but there are some people who don't think that there is climate change. Well. You know, they must not have taken enough science courses or something. I, I don't know. It, uh, the climate is a complex issue. Uh, and 
you know, just understanding how you do the abatement uh, requires a lot of in-depth study. In the United States, it's become somewhat of a partisan issue, uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, you know, it might make it harder to achieve the type of agreements we need uh, here, here in the United States. But, you know, we have two problems. We have the people who deny climate, and then we have the people who think it's easy to solve. And we need to help educate both of those groups. But in the history of, you know, human civilization, is there any evidence that people will do things that will affect their great-great-grandchildren, but that they won't see the benefit from? Well, the United States, actually, of all governments, has been willing to take on very difficult problems like cancer and make gigantic investments, knowing that the real payoff would be many decades down the road. Uh, you know, when that was first being pushed, uh, you know, people were saying, hey, this is important. Climate change is like that, where you've got to take a long-term perspective. And government at its best is when it's taking that long-term perspective and funding the basic R&D and the policies that lead to, to scale deployment. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, a large part of the carbon we have in the atmosphere now is caused by the electricity grid, which is about 25% or so. Exactly. So 24%, um, it comes from agriculture and forestry. Why is that causing such a big increase in carbon? Well, the, that category uh, is a variety of things. When you clear land, you're taking in the carbon that's stored, say, in the trees or plants there, and you're releasing all of that, like burning the land uh, say in Indonesia for um, palm oil plantations. Another thing is that uh, cows and other grass-eating species uh, have a digestion system that emits methane. And methane is a very powerful greenhouse gas. And so cows alone uh, account for about 6% of global emissions. And so we need to change cows, uh, cows just cows alone. Uh, How are we going to do that? Well, uh, actually, of all the categories, uh, the one that has gone better than I would have expected five years ago is this work to make what's called artificial meat. And so you have people like Impossible or Beyond Meat, both of which uh, I invested in, you eat it as well, or do you like it? Absolutely. You, do. Uh, you can go to uh, Burger King and buy the Impossible Burger. All right. Is it healthier for you, or just healthier for the atmosphere? It's, it's slightly healthier for you in terms of less cholesterol. It's, of course, dramatic reduction in uh, methane emissions, you know, animal cruelty, manure management, and the pressure that meat consumption puts on land use. What about electric cars? Do you think that's a solution? It absolutely, they, if you look at the transport sector, that's about 14% uh, of passenger cars 
with a batter, another factor of two to three in battery improvement, which is possible, the mainstream for passenger cars uh, can become electric. So you have to make that transition. Uh, you've got to scale it up. You've got to make sure electricity is, is zero emission. But for trucks and planes, uh, there's almost no chance the batteries will be good enough. And so there you'll still need to create liquid fuels either with electricity or uh, biofuels uh, some way. Fuels are amazing. You know, the energy density of gasoline is 30 times the energy density of the best battery we can make. And so if you look at like a, a container ship uh, that crosses the ocean, having your fuel be 30 times less efficient would mean that 90% of the weight you're carrying would be the batteries instead of the cargo. And so trucks and planes and boats, electrification is unlikely to work in those cases. So we need ways of making fuels that are, are zero carbon. When you talk to heads of state about this, do they roll their eyes and say, we're happy to meet you, can I have a selfie with you, and so forth? But do they really do anything? And what are you trying to get heads of state to do? Well, in the, the um, Paris Climate Conference, one of the things that was missing was a focus on R&D. And uh, so actually, France said, yes, we want that to be, for the first time at a COP, a real uh, issue that gets discussed. And so what was called Mission Innovation, which Prime Minister Modi uh, got to pick that name, that idea of a commitment of over 30 governments to double their energy R&D was a significant milestone that came out of that conference. Uh, in order to get that commitment, uh, I had to make the commitment that there would be breakthrough energy that would take things out of those labs and help get them into the marketplace. So there's been some progress. Climate is complicated enough that uh, you, know, you don't want, you want a broad set of people in the government to understand uh, the, the complexities. And in terms of the R&D work that needs to be done, unless the US is deeply engaged, it's unlikely to happen because so much of the world's capacity to do that innovation is, is here in the United so States. the United States pulled out, more or less, of the Paris Accord, though not technically so for another year or so. Um, is that of concern to you? And do you think this is gonna hurt the effort to change uh, climate change around the world? Yeah, it's a huge step backwards. Even if you meet all the current commitments in that uh, climate accord, you're still way over two degrees of warming. And most countries are behind the commitments they made. Those commitments were a set of reductions where you would compare your 2030 emissions to your 2005 emissions. Right. And there's a little bit of that that's easy. The shift from coal to natural gas, which is a one-time thing, is a lot of that. Uh, and yet the world is falling short. And so to have people like the United States say, okay, that's, even that's not important, uh, it just shows how daunting this is going to be. There's no way we'll get there without the US coming back in in a, a strong way. You think if you met with President Trump, you could convince him on Paris uh, to maybe get back in, or is that beyond your capabilities to do that? I, I someone else should do that. Um. <laughs> All right. Now, the largest companies in the world and the United States today are technology companies, Apple, Facebook, uh, Google, uh, Microsoft, uh, and so forth. Um, 
Do you worry that there's too much power and too much data in the hands of these technology companies? And are you surprised the government hasn't done something more than they've done today about this? Well, technology's become so central that government has to think, okay, what does that mean about elections? What does it mean about bullying? What does it mean about wiretapping authorities that let you find out uh, what's going on financially or uh, you know, drug money laundering, things like that? So yes, the government needs to get involved. I, for the early years of Microsoft, bragged to people that I didn't have an office in Washington, D.C. And eventually I came to regret uh, that statement uh, because it was kind of almost like taunting Washington, D.C. Uh, and so now the technology companies, partly because of the lesson of Microsoft, uh, of course, you know, they could have seen that lesson through AT&T or IBM or Kodak or a lot of uh, innovators as well. They're very engaged. There will be more regulation of the tech sector. Things like privacy, I'm sure they'll, and there should be at some point federal regulation that relates to that. The fact that now this is the way people consume media uh, you know, has really brought it into a realm that uh, you know, we need to shape it so that the benefits outweigh, outweigh the okay. negatives. So if you were uh, 20 years old today and you wanted to start a new company, drop out of Harvard, what company or what area would you want to start it in? Well, this is a, a great time to be doing innovation because the tools of innovation are so much better. There are lots of things in biology that are very interesting. Uh, there are lots of things in energy that are interesting. Given my background, I would start an AI company that, uh, whose goal would be to uh, teach computers how to read so that they can absorb and understand all the written knowledge of the world. That's an area where AI has yet to make progress, and it will be quite profound when we achieve that goal. So are you worried about the power of AI to disrupt uh, our civilization, to put people out of work, those kind of things? The increased productivity that will come from AI will create dilemmas uh, about what should people do with that extra time? And you've got to consider that a good thing, even though it will be an interesting set of adjustments that have to take place. You assessed the two most urgent issues were K-12 in the United States and health in the uh, less developed areas. How did you pick those two? Any regrets about picking those two? And have you made progress on either of those two? Well, global health uh, is our biggest area, and there the progress has been really unbelievable, not just because of our work, but our partners that include the US government spending on PEPFAR, the European donors uh, who've really stepped up on these health issues. One of the metrics of importance is the number of children in the world who die before the age of five. When we got started in the year 2000, that was over 10 million a year. Now it's about five million a year. And so, you know, it's just mind-blowing, and, and people aren't that as aware of it as you'd like them to be. The, those deaths, because of getting out vaccines and understanding a bit more about nutrition, those deaths have been cut in half. Now the goal is to cut them in half again uh, by 2030. Our US education work, uh, that is not just K through 12, it includes uh, higher ed as well. They're the key metrics 
dropout rates, um, uh, math, and verbal achievement, those metrics have moved essentially not at all. And even as the US is spending more resources on education, we spend by far more than any, any country in the world, and yet our results are quite a bit worse uh, than uh, almost all the other rich countries, and even some middle-income countries. You know, even Vietnam now is passing us in terms of their math uh, results. So the, the, there, the field as a whole and our work has not had the impact we hoped for. So today, people come to you all the time for money, I assume. Everywhere you go, people say, by the way, I have this thing you should invest in. I have a couple myself I'll mention later. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, a couple of things you should invest in or things you should give money to. So how do you resist it? You have some person who says no for you, or how do you do that? Let many people. Uh, many people say no. Well, once you've picked what you care about, if somebody has something that can make a difference in global health, we're super interested. And you know, we have a staff of 1,500 people, and if it's to do with global health, some of those people will come out and talk through with you whatever your innovation is and how we can partner with you on that. Okay. You know, so that's clearly in our area. If it is something that can substantially improve K through 12 education, then we're going to be very interested in it. If people are asking outside of those things, then you know, fortunately, you can say no, because focus is, is key to philanthropy. So people have recognized over the years that raising children is difficult. Jackie Kennedy famously said, uh, if you mess up raising your children, nothing else matters. Uh, you have three children, seem to be well-adjusted, and you've kept them out of the newspapers and so forth. How do you avoid spoiling kids like that? I think that's a huge problem. You know, obviously, our kids have benefited from having a great education and an opportunity to travel, and uh, you know, so they're very lucky in that sense. Making sure that the visibility or the way people treat them is not unnatural. There are some challenges that come with that. So far, they've handled it well. You know, Melinda uh, is the one who deserves any, or certainly almost all the credit uh, for the kids so far. Uh, doing very well. You know, our kids, we've said to them that, that you know, the money is going to the foundation, and so they don't think of themselves as sort of aristocratic But what do they say when you tell them that? They say, can you give me a little bit or something? Or they don't, <laughs> they don't ask for some? They'll get a little bit. How much money has your foundation given away to date? About $40 billion. $40 billion. Yeah, we're now up to giving $6 billion a year. So finally, um, if People are watching now and they say, all right, I want to do something about climate change, but I'm just one person. I don't have the resources that Bill Gates has. What can any average person do to have some impact on climate change in your view? Well, certainly they can take things like uh, these new meat products or uh, how they uh, buy electricity and they can help uh, drive up the scale of the, the green solutions. The most important thing at this stage is their political voice. Uh, there's going to be a need to put substantial resources into this effort. And you know, we need, we'll need a bipartisan solution. And to send the right signal to the market, you actually don't, if you just win one year and then it gets repealed, that doesn't help at all. The key is what 
people see the policies will be over the next 30 years on a consistent basis. And that means it's a much higher bar than just a one-time victory. That was Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation co-chair and Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.